and he sets you free. Bible says, says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath set you free. I'm glad he did. Amen. I'm glad he set me free from my past. He set me free from my sins and the consequences of my sins. Amen. I was headed to a devil's hell, and so were you, until you heard the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We repented of our sins, turned the other way, made a 180-degree turn. Amen. Instead of headed down, we're headed up. Amen. And we're on the right path, the narrow path, the good path. Hallelujah. That leads on the life. Let's clap our hands one more time unto the Lord and thank Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. Praise God. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming to church. I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts 2.38. Oh, how long. That's for make that 2.37. I'm going to do the pretext. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm sure you're not really familiar with the scripture. <clears throat> I wonder how many times this message has been preached throughout the world. I mean, it's probably innumerable. And as many times as I have touched on it or quoted it, it'll never get old. But imagine the day will come when it will no longer be preached because there will be no need. And when we get to heaven, and the last soul is saved. When God creates a new heaven and a new earth and all things are new, everything else will be in the past. None of these church services will come to mind. Hallelujah. Because we'll be in glorious eternity. Now, I know we'll have a semblance of our memory. I don't know how much. And after eternity, perhaps in Past eternity, past eternity, amen. I don't know how relevant it will be, although when we make it there, you talk about joy. You talk about relief. Talk about exhilaration. Wow, I made it. Thank God I made it. But there's coming a time, you see, when even the sonship of Jesus Christ ceases because the sonship was only assumed as a temporary role until the last person is redeemed that chooses the way of salvation that God prescribed for humanity. Now, it doesn't mean that God ceases to exist or Jesus in his glorified state ceases to exist. No, no, no. It's just his role, his position as mediator. It's no longer there. It, it is done away with. Why? Because there will be no more need for a mediator. All those that could be saved were saved. And I live in heaven with Jesus in eternity. Amen. But the point is, there's coming a time when this will not be preached any longer because there will be no necessity for it. So value it and take advantage of it while you can. And let's preach it 
to all the creation of the world as Jesus commanded us to go. Preach this gospel to every creature. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, after Peter preaches the very first message of the church in this new dispensation after the Holy Ghost was poured out upon him and other 119 that were up in the upper room. He says, now when they heard this, heard Peter's preaching, they were pricked or touched in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do in response to your message? See, the message and the preaching of God always requires a response. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Can you say amen? amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. Blessed and multiplied the ears of all hearers. And let us sink deep down into our spirit that we may be changed by it. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And let the church say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thanks for coming to Midweek Bible Study. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, as we prepare for this coming revival with Brother Tim Green on Sunday morning, Sunday night at 6 o'clock, Monday night at 7.30, and Tuesday night, 7.30. Amen. Do we have a 7.30 or 7? 7.30, I thought so. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm not misspeaking here. Hallelujah. But this message I have for you tonight has this revival in mind. And so I just want to bring several important items to your attention. Uh, first of all, before I get into this lesson here, when you come, come prayed up. In fact, uh, I would declare Friday to be a church fast day. Press spread the word, okay? Let's make Friday a day of fasting in preparation for this revival, okay? Hallelujah. Let's pray in preparation. Prepare your heart. Fast on Friday. And when you come uh, on Sunday morning, come prayerful. Come prayed through. Come focusing on visitors rather than yourself. Now, it's all right to have needs and have problems, but the church is about an outward focus. It's about those who have a need, particularly the new birth experience. Amen. So let's make it a point to focus on our visitors. In fact, let's make it a point the next few days before Sunday to invite people you haven't seen for a while, people that you're in contact with, and uh, people who are in your circle of friends and, and acquaintances. Invite them to these services. Now, when we have these services beginning Sunday uh, in each and every service, I ask you that after the service, do not mono monopolize the evangelist's time. I see too many times that we encircle him and we, we, we crowd him and other people are wanting to get to him and he can't talk to anybody else because, you know, it's like Jesus surrounded by everyone, and, and you can't even get in at the door. So let's be mindful of that. The evangelist, when he gets done, he is sweaty, he is tired, and believe it or not, when you're ministering in this pulpit and you're ministering to people in need, that takes a lot out of you. And after you spend some time at the altars, uh, you know what I'm talking about. 
He's tired too, so be respectful of his time and his energy. Hallelujah. Give everybody a chance to talk to him and be blessed by him. Now, he's already preached his heart out. He's already delivered the message that God placed on his heart, and he has ministered in the spirit to to those whom God showed him to go to, do what he does, say what he said, amen, and deliver that one word maybe to you. If he didn't speak one for you, amen, just wait on God. Amen. But, But give the man some room. Praise God. Hallelujah. So don't monopolize the, the evangelist. And then when you come on Sunday, come in faith. Come in expectation. Come expecting that God is going to do something. Amen. And hey, you can come here and just have a, enjoy a good service. That's fine. Uh, but, but, you know, we, we've, we've got, to, we've got to, to focus again on the people who come in here with some genuine needs, and I'm not minimizing yours. Hallelujah. But remember that our focus has to be on empty vessels. Empty vessels are the ones that get filled. And the ones with expectations are the ones that Jesus focuses on. And if you come with no expectation and no faith, he's going to bypass you. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you up front. Amen. I'm trying to help you to prepare for this revival. You want to hear from God? You want, you want God to do something for you? Well, here's something that you and I have to do in preparation. Fasting and prayer will go a long way, and expectation and faith will go a long way. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. I love you. I'm still your friend. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, Acts 2, 37, 37, 39. Now, I want to, besides that, focus your attention on one more place, and that's Matthew chapter 11, verse 7 onwards. And uh, this is an a, a incredible portion of Scripture to, to give you the setting. Um, in chapter 11, Jesus uh, made an end of commanding his disciples, and uh, then he began to go and, and teach and to preach in, in the cities roundabout. And uh, there were a couple of uh, disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus after John was uh, put into prison. And he heard about the works of Jesus Christ. And, and these disciples of John the Baptist asked him, he said, Now, are you he that should come or do we look for somebody else? Are you that Messiah? And Jesus didn't give an outright answer except he said, Look, go tell John. Show John again those things which you do hear and see. Now, you, you've heard my teaching and preaching. You've seen what I've done. Amen. And the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the deaf are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. That was a reference to John the Baptist. Look, you're in jail. I'm out here. I know I'm the deliverer, but don't be offended if I don't rescue you from prison. Because your job is done. Even you said, now he didn't say this in, I'm reading between the lines. Right? Because even John the Baptist confessed, he must decrease, but I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. And so Jesus reminding him of that. And verse 7, as these disciples of John departed, Jesus began to say this to the multitudes concerning John. He says, what you go out to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken with the wind, verse 8. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed with soft raiment? 
Amen. Now I'm going to jump down to verse, uh, verse 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women he, there, has not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, again, this is a reference to the New Testament church versus the Old Testament saints. Uh, he's saying, you know, that John is the last of the great prophets as we usher in the New Testament church. And those in the New Testament church will experience a greater experience with God and relationship than anybody in the Old Testament, including John. John is going to be executed now, and he'll never get a chance to be in the upper room to be filled with the Holy Ghost and the, as the 120 were on the day of Pentecost. And he'll never be in the bride of Jesus Christ. He'll never be in the church because he died in the previous dispensation or time period. The church didn't begin to Pentecost. And so he's making a reference. Those that are the least in the kingdom of God, the church, are greater than he. Hallelujah. Why? Because the ones in the church, we have a greater connection with God than John ever did. And we're privileged to be in the part of the church of the living God, which John never had that opportunity. So verse 12, Jesus makes this reference to the transition from the Old to the New Testament. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and the violent taken by force. I'll get back to that in a moment. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if, we, and if you will receive it, if you would just understand, accept this, this is Elias, Elijah, which was to come. He that hath ears, let him hear. But whereunto shall a like in his generation? It's like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows, uh, saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating and drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. And now here the Son of Man, Jesus speaking about himself, came eating and drinking. He said, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, here came John the Baptist. He lived a life of self-denial and deprivation. And you are calling him a child of the devil. So here I come, am eating and drinking and, and ministering to the publicans and sinners and the public at large. He said, ah, oh, a man who's a, a wine-bibber. He's a drunkard and he's a glutton. He's a sinner. So you're making excuses for not receiving the unadulterated, effective word of God. So how else should I approach you? Nothing pleases you. You know, there's people who just want the word of God just the right way, from the right person. But the word of God is the word of God no matter who they are, no matter how they come, no matter how peculiar they are. John the Baptist was quite a peculiar person with his meat, you know, eating wild honey and locusts. Ah, you know, I mean, hey, the vegans had nothing on him. Mm. Praise God. And Jesus, he was quite ordinary. Uh, wasn't, uh, you know, presumptuous in any way. He was uh, very, very unassuming. He was very down to earth. And, and yet they didn't receive him because he was, you know, too low. And they forget that he was God manifest in the flesh. But he took upon himself the form of a servant, a position of humility. His attitude was different than these highfalutin Governors and theologians and, and, and power-seeking egomaniacs. 
And so he was upbraiding them. No matter how I come or how I send you uh, preachers, you don't like them. We got to be careful that we don't play favorites with preachers. We better come with an open heart no matter who preaches the word. It could be some lay member from the church. It could be your pastor or it could be some evangelist that comes here and sees you once a year. But you be careful that you receive the word of God and don't make excuses for not hearing it by yielding to it. And so when he gets done with this verse, notice this, this verse 20, this really blew me away. I saw this not too long ago and, I, you know, I, I, I don't know it all. I, maybe you know everything and you got it all together. I don't. Hey, man, I'm still learning. And stuff still jumps out for me from my Bible. And this is not my first. And this is about my second or third, at least in English. I got a Hungarian one that's ripped apart and it's read the same way, underlined and, and went through every which way in a different language. Uh, praise God. I love the word of God, but I'm still learning. And watch verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. That blew me away. You know what I saw in this? I saw in this that the purpose of all of God's great works is to bring people to repentance. If God moves in our midst in this revival in a great way or any time, and he chooses to heal someone in a miraculous way, if he chooses to raise the dead or open the ears of the deaf or open the eyes of the blind or if he raises the dead, whatever he chooses to do in a great way, tongues, interpretation, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and the gifts of, of, of the spirit and, and tongues and interpretation and, and whatever else way that God manifests his power and his spirit, it's not so we as the vessels of God can, can accumulate glory and pat ourselves on the back and, and say hallelujah, hallelujah. No, 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 the purpose of all that is to bring the hearers to repentance, to a greater degree of, con of consecration, a greater degree of commitment to him and acknowledging him indeed that he is a sovereign God and he's God and Lord over all, hallelujah, that he indeed is the God of creation, that he indeed is the one that we want to serve. He began to upbraid and criticize, I mean, with great anger where most of his mighty works were done. He says, Woe unto you, Chorazim. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they should have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, and now Capernaum, I'm surprised he said that because he lived there. When he moved out of Nazareth and, and, and moved among the Gentiles, where there's a lot of Gentiles and some Jews in the area, but outnumbered by Gentiles, where well, he did his ministry for the most part in those three and a half years. That was his headquarters in Capernaum. And he taught in their synagogue there. Hey, Amen. And he says, in Capernaum, he said, which art exalted unto heaven shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. That's a powerful statement. It says if Jesus lived in this church in Belleville and all the great things that he did and people still don't repent, whew, 
Now, I know you have a great pastor in this church. <laughs> now, but if, if Jesus were here, the best teacher, the best preacher, who had all the gifts of the Spirit, who had all the fruit of the Spirit, who had worked all kinds of miracles you'd ever want to see in that city. And in this city, if he did that and he would say to this city, woe unto you. For if, if Sodom and Gomorrah would have seen all this, they would have repented. But you, you saw it and you didn't. You remained hard-hearted, unpliable, unmovable. Nothing can satisfy you. That's what he was saying to Capernaum. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment. Whew. The purpose of the great works of God is to bring mankind to repentance. In fact, I'll come back to that just in a little bit. And repentance is important because Repentance sets the basis and it is the precursor to bringing everything else. Notice before Jesus' mighty acts came, there was John the Baptist preaching repentance in a wilderness. It laid the foundation for everything else that comes. It's the same thing with Acts 2.38. Before remission of sins and before you can have the power of the Holy Ghost, Peter preached repentance. First things first. You can't have the rest without repentance. Repentance is before great and mighty works. Repentance is all, everything before you can experience a Pentecost. My first pastor, Brother James Kilgore, used to say, people want the Pentecostal experience. People want Pentecost without the cost. That means they don't want that self-denial. They don't want to repent. There was one person that told him, you know, I... I, I want healing. I want healing from my body, and 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 I want you know I want experience you know the the, the things of God, but but I, I just don't want the rest of that stuff. I just don't want the Jesus thing. I just I just don't want to. I just don't want the baptism at all. I don't want I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to. Turn my life around. I don't want to lay down the things that, that displease God. I just want the benefits of Pentecost. I want the power without the cost. I want the power without dealing with my sins. And too often, too many people want the same thing. They want the benefit and the blessing of Pentecost without a repentant heart. As we see time and again, that, that is so, so very important. You know, uh, Jesus made this statement also in, in verse 12. I'll come back to it. That the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Hallelujah. It's a profound statement. And Jesus here was referring to, to that intensity of spiritual warfare that it takes uh, in transitioning from the Old Testament to New Testament ministry. And he's telling 
his disciples and everybody around, look, we're in a transition time. We're, we're moving from Old Testament to New Testament, and, 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 and it's, it's going to be, be requiring enormous amount of energy and focus and prayer and fasting and self-denial. You talk about energy that you're going to need. I'm going to give it to you not many days hence or soon after the resurrection. But see, just like Pentecost, the cross came before Pentecost. Hallelujah. You got to have a death before you can have a resurrection. And same thing in our own life. We have to have a death at an altar of repentance to ourselves and our sins and everything that is us and not of God before we can experience that new birth power of the resurrection. But in any case, again, getting back to this ministry, the, the intensity of it all. It's, it's, it's referring to the to intensity and energy required to serve in the kingdom of God and, and following after God and operating in his kingdom. And indeed, the kingdom of God came with great power on the day of Pentecost, that dunamis power, that tremendous energy that's been pushing back on the frontiers of darkness ever since and even yet to this day. And you may not think that it's having much of an impact but do you not see how many millions more of people are receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost today than ever before in the history of mankind? And that was the purpose of Jesus' coming on Calvary and sacrificing his life. Not just so we can experience forgiveness of sins. Oh, no, thank God for that. But there's more to that. We need remission of sins. And we need the power of the Holy Ghost, the resurrection power. For if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's not of his. But if the spirit of him that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he shall also by that power quicken your mortal bodies. We can't do that without the Spirit of, of, the, of God dwelling on the inside of us. Hallelujah. And so it took tremendous energy to initiate the church, and indeed that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. And so using the ministry of John the Baptist and even Jesus' own ministry, especially pointing to the great miracles and power that he was performing in his day, he was saying that, the kingdom of God is making great strides in a new territory. And now is the time for men and women of courage and faith and boldness to come forth and take a hold of it. That's what this violent fourth unquote is all about. It's the kingdom and its power. And it takes energy. You just can't do it in the flesh. You're going to need that Holy Ghost empowering dunamis power where word dynamite comes from to get the work done and keep on prevailing against the darkness of evil. And we have yet a little time yet. Jesus is coming soon. Hallelujah. Now, I will say this. God's been doing great things in our midst, and he will yet do greater things. He promised it so. And he will to those and through those who expect him to. Jesus, I mean, the Bible tells us that, that there's, there's some great things awaiting for those who love his appearing, not those who don't. You got to be looking for him. Hallelujah. And so, uh, so as, as the Spirit is moving among us, let me just give you a quick warning. If God begins to use you in a mighty way, now, when, when I don't know how God will do it, but if he comes down in a mighty way, I've experienced this myself. 
when you feel this power coming through you in a great way and you're ministering to people, make sure that you maintain a spirit of gentleness and humility. Because with that power indeed comes this great energy, there comes this great confidence and boldness, and sometimes we overstep the line and we forget about our humility and we step into arrogance and pride. And I've seen it happen. As a temptation that goes with it because now you're emboldened by the spirit of what God's doing through you. So, so you know, you, 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 you go where no man has tread before. No, you, you enter, in fact, where too many people have gone. They've crossed over to the dark side. <laughs> Man, where's it coming from? But it's true. It, you, can, you can easily fall on the other side of the horse, as they say, because, you know, when you, you, you see God, you're, you're full of the Holy Ghost. You're enjoying yourself because it feels good when the Lord is there. And you're in it, and you feel the energy and the flow, and you're, you know, it's the current is taking you, and, and you're praying for people. That's great. But stay humble. Don't get arrogant and start dictating to people and thinking you can manipulate them and move them around and commanding them. Don't you be getting in that Lord mode. Be humble. Be gentle. Be loving. And minister to others in his humility. That's what Jesus did. Amen. Now, and, and understand, we got to stay sensitive. Uh, the Spirit of God, as you know, is, is never passive. It's not of a passive presence. It's always active. And His very name, I am that I am, and all His, Yahweh, you know, it's, it, it, it's a verb. It's a verb, as you know. Verbs are actually not so much a noun. It's a verb. I am that I am, and He is. So when, when God revealed His name, Yahweh, to the Hebrews, when they say uh, Yahweh, it really means in the third person, He is. It's a verb. He is. But God never refers to himself as he is. He says, I am. I am that I am. Not to you, I am, he is. But to me, it's I. It's I am. But those are verbs. And verbs are actions. Action-oriented. And it, it just reveals, again, the nature of God. And let's not forget that, that God is never passive. He's never just static. God is never just uh, uh, like water in, in, a, in an enclosed lake. He's not like the Dead Sea. The, 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 the Spirit of God is always like a river that flows. There's a current underneath that. And you may not see on the surface that it's moving, but if you get in that water, you'll find that there's a current real quick. Even in the Mississippi, you may not see it's moving. You jump in that river, I guarantee you, you better run to the, to the, to swim to the top as quick as you can. In that right, my brother works on the on barges. You can get sucked under it real quick. I mean, there's a strong current there going in the Mississippi. It doesn't seem like it on the surface. And same thing in the surface. It's a, it's in this natural world, we don't see the, the Spirit of God here, but He's here. And if we're sensitive and if God opens our eyes to it, amen, and we can see it, because Jesus showed us in John chapter 5 that we can see what the Father does. We can see how the Spirit is flowing. Amen. We can see its effects. Hallelujah. So the Spirit of God is like water. It's flowing. Or even the oceans and, and the seas. They have currents in the seas and the oceans. And the waves, they never stand still. They may be, they may look like it's, it's standing still, but it's not. 
Even the waves are always moving because the earth is always moving. Everything God created is moving. The earth on its axis is rotating, moving a thousand miles an hour around the axis. And, and the sun is rotating on its axis. The moon is rotating on its axis. The, 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 the uh, Milky Way uh, is a spiral galaxy of billions of stars and different kind of planets. It's, it's moving. It's turning at the same time, flying through space at thousands of miles per hour. And even more than that. Every galaxy is doing everything that God creates is moving. You look inside of your body, your, 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 your cells and, and the electrons and, and all those cells and, and atoms in the world and of, of these things, those physical things. There are atoms in there that are holding things together and it's moving. God's spirit is that way. God is not a static God. He's not standing still. He's moving and he's waiting on you and I to take some time out and look for him and wait upon him and say, God, what are you doing? And when revival comes this coming weekend, he's looking for people that will get on their knees after fasting and prayer and say, God, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? Hallelujah. And he'll open your eyes and he'll speak to you. And when somebody comes to that door and all of a sudden the spirit quickens you and says, go to that person and tell them such and such. Or go pray for that person because they need this. I'm talking about revelation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So God's spirit always moves. And we've got to tap in to that motion, the motion of that spirit. And the moving of the Spirit of Almighty God. So be sensitive as we're coming in for revival this weekend. And Matthew eleven twenty again read to you his upbraiding because he did so many great works. And notice it says because they repented not. I only recently in the last week or two that I come upon something that I've never seen before either in the book of Revelation. And I'm not trying to establish a new doctrine. Don't you think about it, no? Mm -mm. But I'm looking more and more in the Revelation because we're closer to the end. We're living in the book of Jude time, and we're getting into the book of Revelation to the time of tribulation. And we're not there yet. And the church is going to be, I believe, well, I'm all, we're going to be taken out of here before tribulation. And certainly before the wrath. But it's interesting, I've seen in, in Revelation, and I didn't put this in, in the notes. That's okay, Sister Carrie, you don't have to worry about it. But I've seen in, in Revelation 9, you know, when God is pouring out his wrath and he's doing all things uh, on earth to, to judge people. And in chapter 9, the, the, the big comet, Wormwood, has already come. And uh, a, a big comet and hit, hit the earth. And the Bible says the third part of the waters became wormwood. Many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sound. All these different woes and these, these different uh, 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 vials were, were poured out upon the earth in God's judgment. And in chapter 9, it talks about uh, some of the other things that were done. Um, and, and it says it was commanded about these angels. It came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. It was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Before this, you see, an angel before the wrath of God went forth. He went and sealed. An angel sealed 
12,000 out of each of the tribe of Israel, 12,000 out of each tribe. We don't know who they were, but we're told later on in Revelation, uh, these, these 144,000, no, 12,000 Hebrews that were virgins. Because they had no other real physical intimate relation, but they were consecrated to God. There were 12,000 out of each tribe, 144,000. And we read upon them later on. And, and, and these had a seal of God. And those, it's not the church, it's not church people. Because in, the Bible tells in Ephesians that it is the Holy Ghost that seals us. Ephesians 1. We are sealed by the blessed hope of, of promise by the Holy Ghost. But in Revelation, it's an angel went forth and sealed the 12,000 out of each tribe. It wasn't the spirit. It was an angel. And so, so again, in chapter 9, we read these things, you know, uh, that, that judgments come upon those which, which did not have the seal on their foreheads as the 144,000. And to them was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented. Five months and their torment was the torment of the scorpion. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now I'm going to jump down further to verse, I guess, 21. I don't have time to read all of it. And he says, the rest of the men, verse 20, not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass. I forgot to underline. That's, that's another one I was looking for. They repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver, brass, stone, or wood, which neither can see or hear nor walk. Verse 21, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor their fornication, nor of their thefts. Even in tribulation, God is doing great wonders and great works, and he's looking for people to repent. And I'll show you another place. In, in, interestingly, I've never seen this either. And I think maybe you saw it. Maybe you know it. I didn't see it. But hey, you know, chapter 13, you know, the mark of the beast is issued. And everybody, man, woman, and child, least, great, rich, blonde. Everybody's given the mark of the beast, 666. And nobody could buy or sell except those that had the, the beast. And while that issue of the, of the mark is given out, God sends an angel. And, and each of them prophesy and in verse 8 of Revelation 14 as the, 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 the mark is being issued out to the population of the earth. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That's the pronunciation of the judgment coming upon this one world system. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if, if any man, get this now, is being passed out. And an angel, I don't know how he proclaims in the whole world, but he does. If nothing else, through this word in his Bible, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Why does God say that through an angel? To again remind the earth to repent. Because he said, if you do, the smoke of urine, their torment ascended up forever and ever. And they have no rest day and night who worship the beast and his image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. God is looking for repentant hearts. I don't know how it would lessen 
the judgment. I don't know what the disposition will be. All I know is that in the middle of tribulation and wrath being poured out, God notices that no one takes the opportunity or the time to repent. And then in, in Revelation chapter 16, I mean, that chapter is, is talking about hail, a hundred pounds coming down from the sky, destroying things left and right throughout the world. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 11, it says that these people, hallelujah, well, let me say verse 10, and the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues in pain, comma, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. God was still looking for, isn't anybody going to repent? Isn't anybody going to cry out and say, God, forgive me? That's interesting. Uh, well, I won't go in there. Hallelujah. Because the Bible talks about uh, the angels going forth and, and preaching the everlasting gospel. Which is the everlasting gospel? Well, God is the creator. He's the one and only God, and we worship only him and give him glory and praise. But men wouldn't repent. Angels would still be going through the earth saying that while there's wrath being poured out. What I'm trying to bring out to you from these verses of Scripture is that God values repentance. Repentance is the very first thing mentioned in the message of Peter on the day of Pentecost. It's not there by accident. It is there for as a pre-qualifier. Nothing happens between you and God without repentance. You want something great to happen. You want the miraculous. You want the power of God. He wants a repentant heart. Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come repentance because without repentance as we've seen they cannot receive the Holy Ghost and that one word repent so it opens up all of heaven to the blessings of God that one word causes all of heaven's angels to rejoice that one word repent opens the door to remission of sins and baptism in Jesus' name, the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can't even have baptism in Jesus' name without repentance. You can't have the Holy Ghost without repentance. Repent, Peter said, and be baptized. And you shall receive the Holy Ghost. And the promise is unto you and to your children. Hallelujah. And they continue in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. From house to house, hallelujah. And so all that comes starting with repentance. First things first. And I'm here to tell you that God wants repentance. So Sunday when we come together, come repented. Repentance is a lifestyle. Every day we've got to cleanse ourselves in his precious blood. Hallelujah. Why? Because we live in a fallen world and we still have fleshly carcasses with fleshly appetites and lusts and desires that war against the soul. And let's not neglect this beautiful salvation. In fact, there's no such thing as, as really losing your salvation. You can fall from grace, 
You can fall from grace by neglecting your walk with God. You can neglect your salvation by not doing the things that you know you're supposed to be doing. Hallelujah. And let me just throw this out for good measure where I'm at. If you're looking to hear something from God, that's wonderful. I want God to speak to you. I want God to give you a word that's just for you if you're looking for it. But don't expect him to give you direction a certain area which he's already spoken to you about. If he's already told you what to do in a certain instance, don't be asking God for the same answer because he's not going to give you one. If you don't believe me, ask Saul. Saul three times confessed with his own mouth. He didn't know what to do. I mean, he was at a loss. The Bible said by the time of the end of his reign, I mean, he was at his wit's end. And and Bible says he didn't answer him by prophets, by visions or dreams. And he didn't answer him by the umum or the thumim. None of those things. God wouldn't answer his prayer. Why? Because he already knew what he was supposed to do. He's praying, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And he already knew what the prophet Samuel told him. God has taken a kingdom from you and given it to another after his own heart. It's David, and you know so, and you said so three times with your own mouth. So I'm not going to tell you something different. I'm not going to send you another prophet. I'm not going to give you another word or a vision or a dream or any mighty work because what are you doing with what I've already given you? And he ends up going to which, Right? To try to hear what he should really do. You know, be careful when you get so desperate that you ignore what God already told you. And you try to go somewhere, you find and try to hear something else. It doesn't work that way. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, somebody say praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And then I'm getting towards the end of my message here. I am. Finally, brethren. Hallelujah. And that's faith. We can't ignore faith. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And when we come together this Sunday, we expect great things of God. I am. I'm mustering up as much faith as I can. I'm mustering up as much expectation as I can. I'm trying to set aside my humanity as much as I can so that God's perfect will would be accomplished. But I'm reading to you from Matthew chapter 11, 20. Hallelujah. Uh, well, we read that already. Hallelujah. In Luke 5, 16 through 24 is what I want to read. Luke 5, 16 through 24. How many know that without faith it's impossible to please him? It's the event of that man with a palsy. Verse 17 of Luke 5. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a, brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch, into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins be forgiven thee. Of course, the scribes and the Pharisees just were up in arms, began to reason, seeing who 
is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What why reason you? What reason you among your hearts? In your hearts. Whether is it easy to say thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise. Take up thy couch and go into thy house. And immediately he rose up before him and took up the bed thereon whereon he lay and departed his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, seeing we have seen strange things today. But verse 20 in this too. I mentioned Matthew eleven twenty, but here's another verse 20. Luke 5, 20. Then he said, when Jesus saw their faith. So evidently, faith can be seen. In fact, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, for it's faith, it is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance. So in some ways, it can be seen. And we've we got to look from a biblical perspective what that substance is. And if we look deeper, I think we find that what, what the substance is is persistence and perseverance. It's this refusal to give up and give in. No matter what resistance they find, you want a blessing and you need an answer of prayer from God. And with four men on a stretcher saw the obstacle and the big crowd and, 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 and they didn't let that stop them. They persevered and they persisted, Brother Drake, amen. They went up on the roof. I don't know where they got the ladder, but they did. And I don't know if you ever try to take a stretch up on the ladder. I'm sure it was a great effort, but they did not give up. I don't know how they kept that man from not slipping down. <laughs> I don't know, Brother Gary, hallelujah. How would you have done it? They probably have to have tied him down real good to that stretcher, make sure he didn't go anywhere. And then two guys, how did two guys on the ladder get up there? I, honestly, I don't know. I just don't know how. They, but they figure out a way. They didn't let engineering problems get in their way. They said, I don't know how we're going to do it. We just, got, we just got to get them on the roof. And we get them on the roof, everything's okay. We got enough rope here. Hallelujah. Well, let's take the roof apart let them down. That's exactly what they did. And Jesus saw that. Jesus saw their persistence. They saw that nothing is going to get in their way. And that's what Jesus is going to look for his Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night. He's going to look for people that come on in those doors who are persistent. And, and they're people who will come with a made-up mind and say, I'm going to touch the hem of his garment, and I'm going to be healed when I do. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Bind Bartimaeus, you know, he didn't let the crowd shush him. They said, hold your peace. Hold your peace. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy. The more they hushed him, the more he cried. Until finally Jesus stood still and called him, come down. Hallelujah. He persisted. He did not care about the crowd. He focused on Jesus, and that's what he's looking for, a heart and mind that is steadfastly focused on him and nothing else. The people are not focused on their blindness, but on Jesus. The people are not focused on the issue of blood or whatever kind of physical infirmity, but they're focused heart and mind on Jesus. And when your faith is focused on Jesus, friend, let me tell you, something's got to happen. Hallelujah. I'm just trying to get us in the mindset and the heart set to, to get focused on Jesus. Let our faith come up to the, the rise to the occasion. See, it took the 120 persistence. 
amen, to stay there all the way from the 40th day to the 50th day to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It took time because, you see, 500 saw Jesus ascend into heaven, but yet only 120 stuck it out to day 10 because 120 were the only ones that were persistent. And then they allow circumstances to get in their way. Hallelujah. They were afraid before and locked in the locked buildings behind closed doors when Jesus was arisen from the dead, but he's, he's still making his appearance left and right. But on this day, hallelujah, seven to ten days, in the upper room, they stuck it out. They waited. They prayed because Jesus said, wait until you do from power from on high. I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you not many days hence. You just stick it out. You just wait. Hallelujah. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in one place with one accord. And Oh, hallelujah. There came a sound from heaven. You know the story. All because 120 people stuck it out, women and men and children. I can't see the children, but I, they have to be. They're, they're women. They were children. And the promise was to the children. Hallelujah. But that's the kind of stick to that God is looking for, that nothing's going to stop it, not the crowds, not the bad weather, not the stub toe, not a holiday. Not a relative that comes suddenly you didn't expect. Not adversity, not a bad mood, not discouragement, not loneliness, uh, not feeling down and sorry for yourself, hallelujah, and having a pity party. Listen, you're not going to get anything from God if you stay down there. You're going to have to get yourself up uh, and do like Micah said in 7, 8, uh, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. Uh, when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be my light unto me, hallelujah. Don't let anything get in your way. And if you get to be that committed and that persistent, listen, there's no way that God God's going to deny you. I'm talking about faith. A heart and mind that's focused on Jesus. All it takes is you looking at him. Looking at him. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Just one look. Hallelujah. One look. The author of the book of Hebrews said we ought to be looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Looking unto Jesus. We need to be doing that every day. Not just revival. Really. But we're coming together for a special reason, a special purpose. We're consecrating and taking time out for four days. Not three days, actually four services. You're taking some time. Make the most of it. Don't just skate through there. I'm going to come and say, yeah. You can. Hallelujah. I'm not judging you. I, I, I don't want any, any bad for anybody. I want good. I want you to be blessed. I want all of us to be blessed. But I know that there are some things that God is looking for. Repentance. And a heart and mind focused on Jesus, looking to him. In the middle of the storm, Jesus came walking to the boat where the disciples were rowing, couldn't get out. They were tired. And they saw Jesus walking on water, and they cried, ah, it's a ghost. And Jesus right away said, it's me, it's me. And Peter said, Lord, if it be, bid me to come unto thee. And he stepped out of the boat, and Jesus said, come. And you know, before ever you step out of your boat, you better hear the word of Jesus say, come. 
You know what I mean? Hallelujah. Don't try this at home, folks. Don't try this on vacation at the lake or going down to the ocean surrounded by a bunch of sharks. Amen. If Jesus tells you to step out on the boat and walk, do it. But if you don't hear from God, you better stay in the boat. Just saying. Hmm? Jesus stepped out of the boat because Jesus said, come. And he was walking on the water. Hallelujah. And he, and he was, up, I don't know how close he got. But he got close enough. And the problem is that he took his eyes off of Jesus, right? You know the story. He, he, he began to see the wind and the waves boisterous. And he took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sink. And then he cried out, Jesus! You know what did he refocus? Jesus was there, grabbed him by the hand, pulled him up. Hallelujah. Oh, you little faith. Wherefore did you doubt? Come on. Let's go back to the boat together. And he walked back to the boat. That's, that, that's fabulous. But there's so much to learn from that. And not just the growing is a great story. I mean, it's really was, it was really written for you and me. To muster that faith. And first of all, they have the sensitivity to listen to God. That when he talks to us and he says that one word to come, then come. Hallelujah. Go if he says go. Do it if he says do something. But make sure it's God. And he did. But how important it is to keep our eyes on Jesus because that determines everything. I'll give you one other example from Paul in Acts chapter 14, verse 8 and 9. He's in Lystra, and the day before he's preached in the synagogue, and then he's, you know, he had mixed results. Some of the Jews were doubting, oh, some believed. All the Gentiles were, Paul, oh, this is for us, this is incredible. Well, the next day, the next Sabbath, everybody came there, more people than ever before. And the Jewish people, man, they were very jealous and envious of that. But so he's, Paul's preaching here. This is his first missionary journey. And the Bible says he's preaching in, in Lystra in Acts 14, 8 and 9. He says, and there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. Now notice, the same heard Paul speak. Do you not understand how important it is to hear the preached and taught word of God? I'm not saying it because I'm teaching or preaching. I'm saying because God said that he chose the foolishness of preaching to save them to believe. It's indispensable to salvation. It's indispensable for the kingdom of God. But Paul, as he preached, and as we're ministering, as we're singing, as we're worshiping, as we're praying for people, let's be sensitive. And I know Brother Green does it. I watch him. I'm sure you have too. You know, he, he's looking. When he's preaching and ministering, while the Spirit flows, he's watching. He's looking for the hearts. He's listening for what the Spirit says. Whose heart is it that's open? Because you can tell when somebody, when people filter into this church, you can tell who's coming in expectation, who's coming in faith, and who's coming with his eyes on the storm and not on Jesus. Can't you? Maybe you've not looked before, but this Sunday after you pray through and you pray and fast and, you know, 
come and see how many people come in expecting something. Those who have not heard this message tonight, watch how they come in. Is it you? Be careful how you come in Sunday. But you can tell how they come. And it was the same when this church service as Paul was speaking. And the Bible said that he perceived that he had faith to be healed. How did he know that? What did he see? He's looking at a man who's been impotent from birth. And it wasn't Paul. It was the spirit that opened his eyes and focused on him and said, hey, that guy is expected. Look at him. He, he's, he's about to get out of his seat even though he can't walk. But he's just hanging on every word you say. He's just excited. He's, he's ready. He's got his eyes on you and really on the, on the word you're preaching. He's got faith to go out there and pray for him. Hey Amen. He didn't even have to go stop preaching. He just looked at him and he said, who steadfast behold him, perceiving that he had faith to be healed. He said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. That's all he said. The Bible said, he leaped. He didn't just go like I do. He didn't say, uh-uh. Uh -uh. He just went. He leaped. God can do that because faith can be seen. And as Jesus is coming in our midst on Sunday morning and all these services, understand that he's going to be coming looking for faith. Looking in you and looking at me. If our heart and mind is focused on him and he's coming to see if you laid the groundwork in repentance because all the great works are there and what you've ever experienced in the past become repentant so he can do greater and mighty things in the Holy Ghost. How am I want that? You want that? Well, let's lift our hand and worship it for a minute. Hallelujah. Thank you, O oh Lord God. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise that these things, greater than these things, you shall do. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, you said, when you come back to the earth, shall you find faith in the earth. Lord, we pray that you find it in us. Strengthen our faith, O oh God. Strengthen our faith. Oh, mighty God in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe you have a great need or maybe you know somebody that does. Hallelujah. This is a good time to pray for them. This is a good time to prepare ahead of time and say, you know, God, if you, could, if you spare, give us a miracle over here. Lord, you know this miracle, this need that we have. Help us, oh God, to be focused on you. Oh, Oh God, help us to prepare our hearts, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, 
Our minds, heart, soul, and spirit. Cleanse our eyes, our ears, O oh Lord. Cleanse our hands and our feet, O God. I just want to bring one more thought to your consideration. Something else that came to my attention this just this week that I wasn't aware of. You know, we all have lost loved ones. We have children. We have relatives, people we love, people we know, friends that are not serving God. We have no backsliders, people who have fallen away and walked away from God or not where they should be. It never hit me until this past week that in Revelation 21, the next to the last chapter of the Bible, it's in verse 4, chapter 21 says, and this is not in the notes of this, okay, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. This wiping of the, of, away of the tears does not happen until ch after chapter 20, which contains the white throne judgment. The white throne judgment is where all the dead are brought before God for judgment. The unrepentant, the sinners, those who rejected Christ. The, the, the death, hell, and the grave, and the seas shall surrender the dead, and they all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And when the judgment seat of, not judgment seat, but the, the white throne judgment, you and I as a church, we have already been to the, to the white throne, excuse me, to the judgment seat of Christ where the church comes to appear for the, not for judgment, but for, for examination and dispense, dispensing of gifts and rewards for the labors that we have done down here on earth. That's the judgment seat of Christ for the church after the rapture, and that's coming soon. And when we're raptured, there's seven years of the marriage supper of the Lamb up in heaven, while on earth there's the tribulation period with the wrath at the second half that coming up. And then we come back with Christ on the earth to set up his millennial reign, 1,000 years rule, and we are with him as kings and priests in his kingdom. So once the white throne judgment comes into play, we've already been on earth with Christ a 1,000 years. And the rest of the dead live not until that final judgment. And at that final judgment, we shall be there 
watching a judgment all those people whom we have known. Those who could have been in a church and were. Those who have heard of Christ but have become. Those who may have been in our circle of influence, but maybe they, we didn't reach out to them enough. No wonder there will be tears shed. Now, I always thought that there would be no more tears in heaven when we get there, but according to this, our tears are not going to be wiped away until Revelation 21, after the white throne judgment. And now I see why. Peter also talks about making sure that we yield ourselves to those have that authority over us or as well, some that they have to give an account, that they do it with joy, not with grief. I will have to give an account before you for the people who have yielded themselves to me as pastor while I was here as under-shepherd. And when you come before him in the judgment seat of Christ, not the white throne, hallelujah. But if there's those who do not yield and those who have rejected Christ, not me, but Christ, and I'm there and I'm watching those and say, oh God, I wish I would have wept more for them. I wish I would have prayed more for them on this side of Calvary, on this side of the rapture, than on the other side. We all have loved ones. We all have friends. We need to make a concerted effort now more than ever to reach out to them because we're in the last moments of the last days. I want you to think about that and pray. I want you to lift your hands one more time. I want you to go ahead and sing. Hallelujah. Praise. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, 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 Lord,